Hey, it's Matt. How are you doing? You're listening to episode 43 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. This one's the third and final part of my Swiss omnibus, this time recorded at the start of April 2018 in Zurich. And my guest on this occasion was my old friend Patrick Brusty Armbruster, which I've been training for a couple of weeks now. Brusty is, it's fair to say, one of the uh, yeah one of the real unsung heroes of the European snowboarding industry, and he has been for the last two decades really. If you're super into the scene, you might have heard of him as uh, one of the guys behind Onboard and also one of the leading lights behind Absinthe Films. Um, but if not, you might not know who he is, and you might be wondering why he's on the pod. Well, the thing is, as I've said before on these occasions. When I decided to start this uh, this podcast, he was one of the first names on the list because I kind of felt that hearing the voices that are less well-known in the industry is a huge part of what this podcast should be about. And in Brusty's case, here's a guy with one of the most varied, impressive and important CVs in snowboarding, really, whether that's as a photographer, a filmer, an entrepreneur or a dirtbag shredder who's dedicated his life to it. And we've known each other a long time. Last time we worked together was about four years ago when he brought me in at the early stages of uh, Fruition, the project he's worked on with Nicholas Muller for, yeah, for at least four years. And he'd read some, Brusty that is, had read some stories of mine in Transall Snowboarding and White Lines, liked what he'd read and decided that um, it'd be a good idea to get me to interview Nicholas to camera as a way of working out what the themes of the project would be. So which is what we did. I went over to Zurich and spent a pretty full on two days, got to say, interviewing Nicholas Muller for, for camera to camera with uh, Brusty, Martin Luxinger, Sean Fee and the rest of the crew that ended up making fruition. Good training for this whole thing, you might say. And um, as you're going to hear, we start the conversation with me asking what happened next, really, because that was the end of my involvement, even though it was uh, super cool working with Brusty. And yeah, Brusty goes right into what happened there. And um, we got on really well when we worked on that together. And that's another reason why I had him pegged as uh, a guest when I had the idea for the podcast. So yeah, I mean, he's got a very close relationship with Nicholas Muller, but the truth is he's been one of European snowboarding's key tastemakers for two decades now with an unerring eye for talent and through Absinthe Films, the, ta- the platform to help that talent perform to their fullest potential. And above all, really, this is a story about going all in, double or quits, as I called it, about the power of fate, recognising there are turning points and opportunities you need to grasp so you can lead the life you want, even if you don't really realise it at the time. And there's plenty of examples in this one, which I reckon you're going to find pretty inspiring. So many good stories, as you might expect from a man at the heart of the European scene for two decades. I mean, this is the mythology of European snowboarding right here. The good, the bad, and the frankly, at times, unbelievable. Big thanks to Brusty for coming on the show, sharing his story. And big thanks as ever for everybody listening. So here it is, me and Brusty, double or quits. Enjoy. How loud are you going to speak? Um, like this? Yeah, sounds good. I will probably speak like this. Yeah, Put yeah, man. Microphone at this level. All good. You're a All professional. Right. <laughs> oh, the premieres are getting really, really tight. Yeah, you've done this before. So, Brusty, how you doing? Doing great, thanks. Yeah, good to see well, you. Likewise, yeah. It's been a while. It's been, what, four or five years? Yeah, four years, I think. Yeah. I think last time we hung out was when we did some work on fruition, right? 
That's right, yeah. When right, uh, the real start of the project. Yeah, when we had you back here in Zurich for conducting the interview, yeah. the opening interview that was kind of given the guidelines for the entire fruition movie, the yeah, movie about you, Nicholas Muller. Yeah, you guys kind of decided to go about it in that way, didn't you? Like record an interview with Nicholas. We did it for two days, didn't we? I think or something. On what, maybe one full day or two. I can't quite remember, but then use that as the it basis. It was extensive, yeah. It was a long... It was a long Long session, got me used to this thing. Um, and now the film's out. It is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> long project. Well, I'm not sure if you've gotten the whole breakdown in the end of the movie. It was, you know, it was a difficult uh, giving birth to this project. Yeah. I mean, when we first had the idea, well, I guess it all started when, you know, Nicholas and me, we, we've been traveling and filming and working together for pretty much the entire my entire absent career which was pretty much from the start and his career as well and right? his career yeah yeah and uh, in 2007 we first had the idea of coming up with a, m a movie project dedicated to nicholas started with some rough concepts started speaking with some people cameramen um producers and then kind of didn't really follow through on it until a couple of years later we picked it up again um still took us another what one or two years until we had some sort of a script together with martin lochsinger yeah yeah so, uh, so just to say so you were kind of like producing yeah directing you did you did every uh, role basically yeah you, on the producing project. and filming yeah and martin lochsinger was uh the director and producing it together with me and uh well we kind of <laughs> stumbled over a couple hurdles uh all sorts of nature like um you know f when how to start financially there were other people involved uh <laughs> don't really know if how deep we should go into that subject but it ended deep, up as deep as you want yeah well <laughs> Well, there was a girl involved that uh, <laughs> made things really difficult on the produ production side of the movie. And uh, it got to a point where Martin Luchsinger said that he is out of the project. That was in uh, summer 2014, I think. Okay, so that's about six months after we did exactly, that work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he pulled the plug. I said, well, um, I'm not going to leave you hanging and continued you know playing every role in that pr production but it just started to get very and difficult more and more difficult for me as well um working under the given constellation that we we were we were working or were facing at the time yeah um until this came to a sudden stop pretty much at the beginning of the the the, the main season that we were supposed to film the entire movie because you'd already done some trips as well at this point, right? You'd been to the Himalayas, right? If yeah. I remember. Chile. Yeah. 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 So you guys had invested a lot of time in it and a lot of, like, you... Totally. You, you at that point, we were about one and a half year deep into yeah. the project. Yeah. It's a big, big decision. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, there were new people involved that um, Nicholas and that uh, certain girl at the time brought onto the project, which were totally random. Um, didn't make any sense to me, and we all just decided that it was better, f you know, t 
to, to part ways. Um, and that is pretty much, uh, let's say, uh, softly voiced. Yeah, yeah, right sure. Now. It, was, uh, yeah. it was one of Arti those moments. Artistic differences, I think they call it in the music industry, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, well, we, we kind of parted ways on that project, but not only on the project, we also kind of took a toll on our friendship there for a moment. It was a rough one to take because uh, Nicholas and me, we, we've gone through a lot and been traveling the world and experienced a lot together. And I always kind of tried to look out as good as I could for him and help him in, in any regard, whether he was, um, you know, with his uh, right decisions in what he would do as a, in his career or, or what uh, kind of what yeah. direction to he, be should, he should take. Um, to be a good friend to him. Yeah, yeah. So that was a it was a tough time, um, which we overcame eventually. Yeah. About uh, six months later, that certain girl was gone, and uh, I got a call from Nicholas, and we met, and we we discussed it all out, and we had many shots at yeah. a bar here in Zurich, sure. and uh, hugged and arm wrestle. Had tears in our <laughs> eyes and uh, we're sorry for each other and it was pretty much all good again from then on. Cool, so you yeah. could get on with the project from that point? Well, no, at that point um, Martin Luchsinger was actually back in the, back in the, in the director's seat. Okay. Yeah, and um, he took on the project and Nicholas had, together with Martin, already a new crew lined up, which was totally fine for me at that point because it was felt too heavy for me to kind of get involved with that with that difficult start that we had yeah. and it, it sounded like they were on a good in a good flow already so sure. I, I left it up to them and everybody that was involved like um, Martin Luchsinger, Sean Fee and um, and Daryl they were all good friends of mine yeah and I totally trusted them to to take on that project and and execute it in a good way yeah okay um, so the film has been out for how long now? Uh, I think a year and a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And looking back on the whole thing, how you know everything that you've described, like obviously like huge roller coaster, a lot of challenges, getting it getting it done. How do you feel about the project? Um, I would have done it differently. I think you know I like how it came out the movie, but to be honest, I've only seen it once so far. I, I still have to. At a, at a premiere, and that wasn't really fairly. I just recently received a DVD, which I haven't, uh, yeah, clearly watched yet. Yeah. I'm a bit of a lazy snowboard movie watcher, to be honest. <laughs> um, We've been doing it a while. I've been watching a few of them. But um, I was surprised. Like there were some really cool creative points. I wish there would have been a bit more like snowboarding to a certain degree, and a bit more <coughs> history. And I guess that was always what 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 kind of fell into my laps. Also, at absent films, you know, the marketing, the, the the sales, and making sure that the hard work that everybody put into a project also gets uh, the well the appreciation of the people. You know, that as many people as possible out there see the product in the end. Yeah, yeah. Because 
the distribution and the marketing exactly are just, are, are as important as the, the creative process right i mean because if you you have everybody like chasing these shots and working day and night on a project spending money and then in the end no one sees it there's only like a thousand people that see it it's like okay nice to have and cool life fulfillment yeah but what was it what was it worth yeah you, know, you want to get it in front of as many people as possible right? so from that perspective i think that could have done could have been done a lot better right yeah because what struck me when we did that those few days back in the day was that um you were, you guys would try to have a different approach because you've obviously spent, you know, like you said, a large part of your career making snowboard films for Absinthe and and for different people. Was was there was that kind of, and so is Nicholas obviously because he's been in so many films and projects. Was that did you try and approach it differently f for that reason? Because the experiences you'd had, you thought you could do it in a different way. Um, you know, with the Absinthe movies, there wasn't much, let's say, room to venture out on a creative uh, direction. Yeah. It, it was like a, a set frame that we always worked in, um, which was cool. And there was always, you know, Justin Hostinek, yeah. my partner, as well as uh, Shane Charlebois and David Vladika. Yeah, yeah. That's like the, the inner circle of absent films. So we always kind of had a, a saying in the movie, and then you have your 12 to 18 writers that want to have as many shots as possible in the film um, or as long parts as possible and then you have your sponsors that want to have you know their visibility and all yeah, that yeah, so yeah. you have to you you don't have much flexibility in the end um, to go either uh, one or another way uh, and live uh, your creative creative freedom f yeah because you've out. got so many people that want to that, that see it in their way so you yeah, have to you try have and to please in the balance end, yeah. all these yeah. so this was a chance to do something where perhaps you guys could please yourself a little bit more exactly yeah. that was um, um, that was um, the, the, the cool challenge and um, well the one project that we could bring it all together especially with Nicholas that you know that was a with Nicholas, I remember when when I first met him, he was 14 at a at a pipe shoot in Logs, at the polymer shoot in 97, 96 or so. And I was shooting photos at the time um, for various magazines, got deeper into photography. And uh, when we then started doing one of the first European snowboard movies together with Drew Stevenson, yeah. and we put together the writer's list, Nicholas Müller that I later met again like a few years later like you know I saw his talent he was then he was like 16 17 I was like wow that's exactly like the style that we want to convey with 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 the European writers yeah yeah European writer driven movie and from that day on we were like you know he was always somehow involved in the travels in in everything that we've done with absent films and um it was cool to have him in the in the first film and then two or three years later he um he opened um vivid the, the movie yeah the classic opening, the opening part exactly it was yeah. like really the roman yeah one of one one of the breakthrough movies for sure, for yeah. absent films yeah, and yeah. from that day on like he just became better and 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 uh more relevant for snowboarding 
that you know he in the end um, he he was he became a driving force yeah, yeah. at Absent Films. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So how so th- how old were you when you first saw <coughs> Nicholas? You said like ninety six, ninety seven. So yeah. So how old yeah. were you at that time? I was twenty. Okay. So it'd be a good point to talk about how you got into this game, really, because you, if I'm right, so did you grow up around Zurich? Yeah, I grew up uh, in Dietikon, okay, suburb, like 20 minutes outside Zurich. Yeah, and what was that upbringing like? Were you, did you skate from a young age? Yeah, I, uh, I started skating in, um, I'd say, around 86, 87. Okay, so you were young. Yeah, yeah like 10. 10, 11. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, maybe. Well, I had a, like skating, like I had a, an, an aluminum board at first. Yeah. And then soon after that, saw like the, the older guys with the with the wooden decks cruising around and um, I, I got like for 15 Swiss francs I got a used Net- Natas Kaupas yeah. board like nice. legendary board yeah 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 and uh, well skateboarding became you know everything for me at the time like after school was over you know skateboarding was on yeah what was it you liked about it ha <laughs> Uh, well, I liked that you could just go on and on and like, you, you know, cruise, first start with the ollie, you you all of a sudden, you know, s- successfully overcame like a curb, like, yes, that moment. Yeah. And then, you know, what's next? Oh, kickflip. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you can do the kickflip, then you see the triple stairs and then you, you just keep going and um, gave you something to do with your free time and it was always fun, you know, and the people that I was doing that with were my home is from the streets next to me where I grew up and um, um, it was just uh, the r- the right vibe and uh, felt good at the end of the day yeah, skateboarding yeah. around and did you did you get into the magazines and did you start oh. getting an interest in photography around then yeah I actually always had a camera with me like even before I skateboarded and okay right um, from a young age then like really cheap cameras that my dad gave me or uh, later on I got a video camera from boyfriend of my mom and and took that out right and filmed we filmed each other you know skateboarding yeah yeah so you you were always the guy that had the camera yeah from a young age yeah totally so where did that interest in photography come from was that something that you got from like you you know you like older older figures or that's a good question I uh, I I guess I just always like to document things and um and have memories of things that I did and then with skateboarding of course you know we were watching at all the magazines and you saw like the sick shots yeah and we all wanted to get sick shots and yeah yeah so it was like just much of a challenge to to stand a trick then get the right moment on film so you were you were looking at it in that way from that age you were basically teaching yourself like that language almost yeah. at that age yeah which is yeah i mean which is a big thing isn't it in in skateboarding and, and snowboarding and surfing like that kind of visual language that you need to kind of learn really you know if you're going to do what you do for sure yeah um you know until that time it was I don't know, it was just as much fun for me as skateboarding, like yeah, capturing it. that challenge. But we never thought about, you know, doing either or professionally. Yeah. So you, so you always had the crew that you that you were skateboarding with. And and yeah, that's, that was like one pivotal, uh, I guess, Friday afternoon when school was over. We were at the 
the older guys' uh, apartment and they <coughs> shoved in VHS. Snowboarders in Exile too. Ah, right. Good start. Yeah. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is that? <laughs> right. never, never seen snowboarding, you know, right. before that. And all I knew is like, they're like skateboarding, but just flying much further. Yeah. Know? And on snow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like so blown away by that movie. I remember like Damien Sanders and all this. He was with hard boots. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Backflipping hard boots. Yeah. It's yeah. sick. And the soundtrack and... Um, and they seemed to be traveling the world and had the sickest time and yeah. uh, I felt like that brought everything together that I um, wanted to do yeah did you ski? yeah I, sk- I skied um, yeah in Switzerland like it's you learned to ski right? yeah, yeah. So, you, so you already knew the mountains and and uh, well then I obviously I asked my dad if I could get a snowboard but there was snowboarding was like what of course not we just bought your skis like we're not gonna yeah. buy you a snowboard yeah and they're like probably i don't know and, like and, uh, 900 euros back then or something i couldn't really get any snowboards yet yeah. either and then uh eventually i when we had like a um the school camp you know we weren't even allowed to come with a snowboard yeah um, but then eventually i bought a steep and deep board a used one um already had like 16 or 24 holes at the at the base, you know, back then you had to drill from yeah, yeah. both sides. You had to do it yourself, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then from the moment I started snowboarding, I started watching more and more snowboard videos and bought all the snowboard magazines and it was just started my apprenticeship that I hated. I was like, you know, 16, you're trying in Switzerland, you basically finish school with 16, you go apprenticeship. I have to pick a, a job direction that you try and want to pursue right. in your life. And what, what did you choose? And I was just completely o- overwhelmed with that. All of a sudden, you're like 15. Like, so next year, you got to figure out what you n- need to work. Like, so what do you want to do? It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then you need to apply and apply and then also need to get that job. And right. uh, started a, like, an electronic um apprenticeship at Siemens right and I hated it like yeah, sure, every right. morning in the train here to Zurich with the in rush hour with all the people and it's yeah. just like almost crying like yeah, what yeah. the hell am I doing with my life yeah yeah powerful incentive to do something different right yeah and that's where I, the whole nurture came you know it's like I need to find an escape. Yeah. And I was reading all these magazines in the train to go to work and I knew every detail, every name, every spot, every history and Yeah, yeah. And uh in 94 I went to a snowboard camp and uh, you know for me at the time it was like okay, I want to travel the world. I want to snowboard, I want to have a good time. So snowboard pro. Yeah. Kind of I don't know, culminates yeah, the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah. That's that's the that that's that's gonna get you there. That's yeah. gonna get you that yeah, job. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that was the goal in that snowboard camp in that one week. So I need to get as good so that I can become pro or, ah, or right. at least so that enter was, like yeah, snowboard yeah. competitions. So you were then. you were driven. You were like, right, that world. That's the world I want to be part yeah, of. Exactly. And this is what I need to do. I'm gonna go to this place yeah. and just drink it in and just do the best I can. Yeah. Right. So how'd it go? <laughs> <laughs> totally differently. <laughs> I had it's it all figured out. Like yeah, my right. run, I was like, okay, I was like, okay, backs are there. Then like Chris Roach style, frontside tree, like nose bone, yeah, and yeah. just kind of all the tricks that I would do <laughs> in the run. 
And uh, so I was standing up on that pipe for the first time, dropped in, tried to do a backside there on the first hit, hocked my tail in, f slammed down to the flat, dislocated my shoulder. Oh <laughs> shit, man. Right, okay. So not as you dreamt it. <laughs> so that was like basically the week uh, was gone right then. Um, they told me you can go home and get um, half of the camp money refunded or stay here and I've met like really cool guys on the first day they were in part of the camp and you know where was the camp uh, Schnalstall okay is that in Switzerland no Italy okay Valsenales oh right okay yeah you're right and you, of course snowboard camps parties drinking yeah yeah 16 so 17 yeah, yeah good times 18 yeah yeah so it was awesome it's like I stayed and I had my camera with me yeah and so for the rest of the week, I just shot photos, completely frustrated, knowing that um, my 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 shot on like getting out of my misery here yeah. at my future life yeah. is kind of gone. But you did it anyway. But you stuck around. Yeah, I stuck around, and then that was like the, the it was like almost like a I don't know <laughs> a moment out of a movie set. Um, we were already sitting in the car about to drive home on the last day and rolled out of the camp and um, when the camp organizer um, ran after the car it's like stop stop um, we rolled down the windows and she's like well we just got a call from a snowboard magazine they they want to do a story about the camp and we saw you shooting photos can you submit the photos I wow like, yes <laughs> sick that was the first that was the first pub published shots that was the first ones that you well, got. Well, the shots kind of sucked, but they, pub but they published, published them. Published them anyway in '94. What was the mag? Swiss Snowboard Magazine. Amazing. So you were, and, you I, were and I had to write the story about the camp as well. That right. This is really similar to how I got into it, actually. Just not obviously through photography, but similar time. Like, you know, oh yeah, this magazine wants to do this thing. Can you do it? And I was just like, yeah, oh, I can do that. Same thing. Uh, right. So you must have been stoked, uh, man. So uh, like on the way home, like the world was like. Was like Yes. Yeah. Nice. Right. So and that's a great story. So you basically, that's yeah. proper opportunity knocking on your door, isn't it? Yeah. You know. And I took it. Yeah, yeah. So that was that. So that was the start. And I got 350 Swiss francs for like four, like two spreads. Yeah. I earned 400 Swiss francs a month working in my apprenticeship. It's like fuck. That's <laughs> way better. Yeah. So you, so did you quit? No, no. I I finished apprenticeship, but like Friday afternoon, I I just checked out where there was a snowboard competition and right traveled there on my own did the work and just started to get to know people just kind of rolled into camp snaked whatever i could like yeah. slept in phone cabins or like met some guys and and like one of the first guys i met there was mickey albin yeah okay and we instantly kind of connected and had a great time in in diablo i went to the snowboard camps and the magazine that published my photos i just got on their nerves as much as I could, you know, called them, hey, I'm going to this competition, you need photos? Hey, yeah. I met that guy, I got a good shot, like, you want it? Just yeah, you got to uh, do that though, you're hustling. Yeah, yeah the proper dirtbag hustle yeah. Totally, you yeah. got to do it, right? And, and, and obviously this is when Mickey was properly, I mean... So no, he was like... He Subject Harkinson was before that, wasn't it? And after no, 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 that, after that, 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 was after that. that. So yeah. that was like 97, wasn't it? So this is just about when he's blowing up, like, yeah, as he's he starting he, to sort... He just became Swiss champ in the pipe okay um and i met like fabian rohrer and john simon and um um 
Donny Kostandosh, <coughs> all the Swiss guys at the time. Yeah. And you know, back then, I mean, <laughs> compared to nowadays, like it's so accessible. Like nowadays, you know, photography, everybody has an iPhone, a camera. Yeah. But back then, you were a photographer standing on the pipe. Yeah. The whole kind of scenery started to focus on that one particular hit where you were standing on because everybody wanted to get a shot. Yeah. Well, it was different. I mean, it was photographers. I mean, they still do have status, but like definitely had a lot of status in the yeah. industry, right? Because of that thing, because you were the you were the people that were like you were in demand. Everyone needed the shots because, like you said, there wasn't a lot of shots around, was yeah. there? So did you? You ended up basically shooting those guys. Yeah, sh started shooting those guys, and of course, like we we would meet every weekend at another Swiss Cup at the time. Photos eventually got. Um, well, continuously published in, in Swiss Snowboard magazine, then they changed the name to Board Generation. The magazine was getting kind of, you know, weird, but my photos got published, and then that was the moment when Monster Backside magazine um, picked me up all of a sudden. Like one Sunday afternoon, my dad comes uh, looking for me in the apartment it's like hey there's a Wolfgang Block on the phone it's like Wolfgang Block <laughs> it's like I know that guy yeah I yeah mean, he's an impressum he's like the boss of the Snowboard Monster Backside magazine yeah you read it in there yeah so uh, he said well I saw you taking photos you're there in Switzerland um, how about you fly up to Hamburg we have like a Christmas dinner party we fly up uh, get to know everybody we want to have you on on, the, on board wow it's like yes like staff photographer yeah, so 96. Wow. I, I got up there and... I was six. You were 20. Yeah. Right. And um, got involved with the whole Monster Backside crew. Yeah. Was uh, kind of staff photographer and Swiss... How do you say? Redact ed editor Editor, crew? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and monthly contributed with interviews, photos and... Yeah. Monthly meetings in Munich. So this, to so this point, you've got you like you, you're basically making a living. You're like your staff, like you can you can do it. You well, exactly. Yeah, that was '96. My apprenticeship was over, and I was off to a good start. I went to the army in Switzerland. Oh yeah, so you had to do service. Yeah, how was Th that? That's that was that was really bad. Yeah, because obviously being British, we never had to do that. And I, I forget you guys always had to all had yeah. to do that. Like an, uh, one of those naive decisions I took in life. I. I kind of could have gone, gotten my way out of it because I had a dislocated shoulder. Well, from the pipe, yeah. So you, um, could, you could have got out of it. Could have gotten out, but I was actually about to become um, a fighter pilot in the army. With 18, I applied to become a fighter pilot. And wow, I, I wasn't expecting you to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, I, at 18, you go in these two-week courses, yeah. which I managed to complete successfully kind of like a basic training yeah in a Chesna yeah right so I, in the end of those two weeks I flew around alone in the Chesna right with yeah, 19 yeah yeah like the, I see uh, yeah yeah the Cessna yeah 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 the Cessna exactly and then with 19 I got into the the second course where I flew out because in Switzerland you know like I don't know every year 15,000 people apply to become a fighter pilot we only have 34 planes so yeah <laughs> it's a pretty it's a pretty low uh, yeah. number that get in yeah, right yeah. so you did good but then I flew out but when you have to apply for the army, they they said, well, you might become a fighter pilot, but you have to t to, s to select an alternative department. Right. I had no idea what to say, so I said, well, all I want to do is like be in the mountains, shoot, 
and bump some things. Right. So I said, ah, oh, you want to be in the uh, really fucking hard mountain division. Exactly. <laughs> That's why they pulled me out. <laughs> oh, shit. So, oh, when yeah. you, so when it didn't work out on the fighter pilot, you uh, ended up in the mountains. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Running up. Cool, where I'm going to go after this, yeah. yeah. So um, running up and down mountains. So, yeah, it was horrible. Like sleeping outside in the mountains for 18 weeks and just crawling up and down and shooting. Like, and... I, I kind of pictured it like kind of a, in a romantic movie yeah. setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you were young. So like yeah. you say, it's a naive thing, isn't it? Probably like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And it was all totally different than that, you know. It's kind of like all day long, just like walking, crawling, cleaning. Right. Cleaning your weapon, like saluting and yeah. fulfilling orders. And just like, top. It was like, what? But then after that, I decided to not continue with with my electronic career um completely to the um how do you say dislike of my dad right okay uh because i could have gotten to the university and yeah, sure. study so electronics he, so, he, so he thought that was the path you were gonna, yeah, you were yeah, gonna yeah. follow and i said no i have a shot at photography and You're i think gonna like, i'm gonna be a snowball photographer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and but first i went to san diego to learn english for three months right which was a really cool summer nice so skating yeah skating surfing yeah. and, and more partying in pacific beach more yeah. more action sports kind of uh, culture when you're a kid it's important, right? Yeah, so that was always a big thing for me, you know, go on adventures and, and yeah. discover the world and just stumble in unexpected cool situations or not so cool, but yeah, but being open eventually will be cool. Being open to it, yeah. trying different things, right? So there you go. So this is when you kind of like, right, this is what I'm going to try and do. And you had a good setup. Yeah. I had a good setup and then the first winter came. I did this professionally. And for some reason, in the back of my head, I still thought, like, I can, you know, maybe be somewhat good in snowboarding. Ah, you're still, you still clinging on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're still thinking, like, ah, oh, I, I could do this. And I uh, was always kind of trying to do some jumps here and there, and then there was this... Kind of make you, like, hold the camera. Like, I'm yeah, gonna. no. <laughs> worst day of my life, probably, like, in, uh, in, in Innsbruck at the extreme pipe contest 14th of february in what was it 98 uh hate that jump remember gimple was next to me like oh, what do you think speed from here he's like oh. but i kind of didn't fully go straight and little little speed check little, little speed check and came up slow hit the knuckle like i remember in the air something bad's gonna happen landed on that knuckle and wow the pain like my my ankle shattered the, the leg broke and uh they brought me down to the hospital and the doctor told me well it's looking it's looking bad yeah <laughs> oh, well but i'm i was just expecting the worst like but i can walk again right like hmm not so sure wow okay so <clears throat> the next i called my dad of course super disappointed angry yeah came to pick me up with the um, with the with the ambulance from zurich drove me back here they brought me to a hospital and it was really severe they put a cast on my leg in, in austria did the wrong move and right. my, my my nerves were about to die and shit right and then uh basically my dad was standing in the hospital 
screaming at me, you know, what what a stupid idea that was to become a snowboard photographer. Right. Really? Yeah. Just what you wanted to hear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, you know, he was just like... Yeah, he would have been upset. And he's ups- upset, but more and like shocked and yeah. sorry and then one just wanted to have the best for me. But yeah. um, I got out of the hospital three weeks later and physiotherapy and trained every day and, and, and did everything I could to get as quickly back on my legs as possible and then went to the SPC camp in May. Drew organized a sled for me so I could go up the glacier with my... With, with my with the bag and with, with the how do you call them the the crutches the crutches yeah 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 I was like up with the crutches on on you know hintertucks yeah shooting right shooting photos again okay right do the little claws on the end Those yeah exactly yeah. yeah 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 right so then so that would would this be about the time that you started working with onboard then yeah exactly so I uh, was actually working for Monster Backside magazine but would always spend time with onboard guys with Drew and and Gary and and Russell and uh, um, uh, um, and of course Kale. Yeah, and was Sharty around at this time? Sharty, of course. Yeah, yeah. Jason. Jason Horton. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Legendary crew. Yeah, super legendary yeah. crew. I mean, this is when I first met all you guys, just out and about at events and stuff. But yeah, I mean, you guys were the like original onboard crew, right? Yeah, and they were trying to. Um, convinced me to, you know, quit Monster and come the onboard. Yeah. Uh, but uh, actually, that was, yeah, that's actually also uh, kind of a milestone there. When I was in hospital in Zurich, Drew came to visit me and picked me up from the hospital, took me out. We went down to the lake on a pedalo <laughs> and uh, had some beers talking about what we were going to do with our lives because he was somewhat lost as well. Yeah. And I told him that, you know, I always wanted to do a snowboard movie with the guys that I was shooting photos with. They my they didn't get the the um, the, the um, opportunities. The opportunity and the existing companies like the visibility in, in yeah. snowboard movies and back then snowboard movies were just the, the cornerstone of the sport yeah every year it was like 20, it's like 30. if you were in a snowboard movie yeah you, you had a career just, you had a career you, everything kind of it was the peak of the pyramid you got invited to every contest yeah you had all the magazine uh, coverage and you had the credibility the credibility yeah exactly. basically because you might get the results but it was all about video parts wasn't it yeah. I mean that's interesting because I was going to ask you about that because I remember you boys were really forward thinking on, on f- film and video like from the start you know you were like we with White Lines distributed films and like but we didn't make films and you guys from the start made films so this was a conscious decision to yep. like try and do it your own way yeah and I thought <coughs> in skateboarding it's obvious you need to go to California if you want to get the visibility in snowboarding though you know we have um, just as good mountains as yeah. in the US if not better um, the industry is somewhat from here as well yeah you got a big epicenter here haven't you and I knew all the riders yeah so uh, why not relevant at the time um, never really f- well shot anything on, on film yeah but we also had the connections to the brands and we thought that was like a good um um good way in basically yeah. yeah okay and then so the, um 
basically Drew and me were then planning that movie project for about a year. Yeah. And I was my English wasn't that good yet. And I was talking with Drew every day. And Drew was calling me every day and we spoke for at least 30 minutes and he was talking to me, you know, with this Aussie dialect. And I just met these guys and just got some amazing, you know. I was like just understanding half of it. The Drew show. Yeah, yeah. We, we put together budgets and and and, and uh, Excel sheets and where to go, what to do, and we we're really planning for a year. And we eventually bought both 16 millimeter cameras. Yeah. Mine was working, Drew's wasn't. See, and you taught yourself. You yeah, both, yeah. You, I, bo- you both just taught yourself. Yeah, I have. I still have the footage of us two loading our first film roll into a camera. Right. Uh, wow, that's quite ballsy to uh, do, really. To, to have the confidence to to just think, fuck it, we're going to raise some money, yeah. get a camera, do that. I thought, you know, back then it was all analog photography and shooting 16 millimeter. I figured the best um, background to have to start shooting 16 millimeter is being a photographer. Film photographer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't have any worries about that. I had more worries. I couldn't really picture Drew in the snow. <laughs> 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 yeah, I can see. I can see why that was maybe. But, uh, uh, probably didn't have the balls. Yeah. Yet back then to tell Drew that. <laughs> <laughs> so you did it. So you did the film. Yeah. Um, and that's actually an interesting constellation of how the um, the film project came together. The funding, um, basically, that was my way out of Monster Backside magazine. We Drew was the editor in chief at Onboard magazine, and Gary Maidman controlled the finances. Yeah, and it was gonna be an onboard movie called Tribal, and um, so Onboard entirely financed the the production and hired me as a staff photographer. So it was like a one full package for me and. It was kind of a dream package, and I disclosed that to to Wolfgang Block, that who hired me three years earlier at the at the editorial annual editorial meeting right. where we we're planning next year's magazines. And uh, well, he wasn't very amused, but could understand my decision. Yeah. And then uh, in '99, I went on the first filming trip to Chile with the Solomon team. Steve Gruber mainly, um, but also David Benedek, David Pitchy, um, who were somewhat going to be involved in the, in the in the movie as well. Yeah. And interesting part is that Steve Gruber and me flew through San Diego to Chile, where we got where we had a layover to to attend the premiere of the movie 1999, which was... Jamie Mossberg. Exactly. Yeah. Produced by Jamie Mossberg and Justin Hostinek. Okay, so that's where you met Justin. On the day of the premiere, they were still editing and we were at their studio. Right. Uh, I see, that was obviously what I was going to ask you, how this all came about. Wow, that's another little little, uh, coincidence, in English, like serendipity, like just a, a chance thing that you follow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Amazing. So how was so how was that? Um, well, we started talking, and I knew his name. He was a acclaimed photographer for for Snowboarder magazine. Yeah, I mean, legend. at the time. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I knew his name, of course. And yeah. I was like, Ah, oh, Justin. Yeah, interesting. Good to meet you. Uh, from Zurich, and then just going to Chile, trying to make a snowboard movie. He's like, Oh, I'm from Zurich too. 
Right. <laughs> so what? Um, he starts speaking Swiss German. Right, I didn't know that actually. Yeah, he's, <coughs> he's, uh, he's from here and uh, thought like, wow, that's kind of like, uh, can't be a coincidence, you know? Was yeah, yeah. Fate. That we Fateful meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, asked him, of course, like what his plans were for this upcoming season. And he said, well, no plans yet. Sounds interesting. Like, kind of keep me in the loop. Let's right. see how it goes. And didn't really think about it much anymore. We left San Diego to go to Chile. Um, came back with some good footage of of, uh, of Steve and, and Benedict and Pitchy. And then New Year, the Millennium came and uh, drew who just discovered that his 16mm camera that he bought half year earlier didn't work. <laughs> Broke his arm skating drunk at the mini ramp um, at the um, city big, big air event in, in Vienna. Right. Okay, that's a great start. Yeah, yeah. Um, cameraman with a broken arm and a broken camera. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going to continue. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, they caught him at the border and oh, I think realized I, I that think I know this story. Right. he's been illegal in Europe for a couple of years. Yeah. Many years. There's just too many stories about during the... And then they basically, he had to leave Europe yeah. around the 10th of January. And now we were, we met in Lech and spoke about how to continue. And it's like, wow. We'd overwhelmed with all that. But that was the moment when I called Justin. Right. And explained the whole story. And he didn't have uh, any plans at the time and came, came on board. But that's actually... Uh, the even better story about that time was when Drew left Europe on board was about to launch a surf a European surf magazine Surf Europe and they hired Derek Riley I think the editor from Australia that showed up at the Meyerhofen office the local police showed up in uh, in the onboard office asked him who he was what he was doing he had any papers yeah, Australian. I'm working for this uh, publication company. It's like, oh, interesting. No working permit, huh? <laughs> oh man! And then <laughs> they, the whole onboard, they came back and somehow I don't know exactly how it all went down, but basically the onboard office left from one day to the other, Meyerhofen, where they had the office for years. Yeah, I remember. I remember they going there. They basically escaped. They split. And they scrambled everything together, packed it all up, and. Moved to and Chamonix, right? And, and and fled to Chamonix. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a good story. Yeah. It is a good story. Uh, I think uh, it needs to be told because otherwise yeah. it's going to gonna be forgotten at yeah, some point. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's maybe, uh, maybe some people will tell it. I'm not sure if I get all the facts 100% right, but that's as f as much like uh, as I remember it. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, I'm going to try and get Drew on here. I'm probably going to have to... I'm pretty sure, like... Do two episodes for him, I think, but... And so Drew was in Australia and they left to Chamonix. I was in the middle of that movie project and Gary Maidman was somehow in negotiations with another publication house that was interested in buying on board, which they ended up doing. Richard Armstrong, I think, was the owner of that uh, publication house at the time. Now that guy um, had a crash with his private jet two months after that and died yeah I remember so this as well 
which is almost too unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. So basically, Drew was in Australia, being totally frustrated and pissed that he wouldn't get like a, a piece of the cake of the sell-off on board. Things got out of hand, and uh, Justin came on to the film project, which was savior of the day for me because I, at that point, I was only shooting. I knew what to do with shooting, but had no idea what we were going to do next, you know, with the whole production, post-production of the film, the distribution. And, um, well, luckily, the new owners didn't really know what we were up to with this movie project. All they knew is that we had a commitment from the former owners to fund this project and they followed through on that which was a you know huge loss in the end of the day yeah yeah first movie project you know we everything was a bit loose but it was giving on board a good credibility yeah and uh um well new people came all of, all of a sudden new faces showed up at the editorial meetings in Chamonix people that had nothing to do with snowboarding it was all a bit of weird constellation and uh, well Justin and me we basically we finished the movie on time we had a premiere in San Diego in Europe the movie was called Tribal yeah I remember it yeah and um, it was gonna be it was basically produced by absent films like Justin already had that that comp that production name. Yeah. He already produced two, three movies before that and we decided well we didn't you know, Absinthe is a Swiss originated drink. Yeah. And Justin is from Switzerland, I'm from Switzerland. The movie name what the the produ production name was established, we decided to continue using that. Yeah. So that's uh, where it came from. Yeah. And you did that for a long time. Right? Yeah. So uh, how how many years in total did you do that like season on season? Um, the last full season I produced was uh, Resonance, that was 2012, so 13 movies. Yeah, and Absinthe obviously always had this reputation for, you know, being at the higher end of the, of the spectrum, really. Like, the, the production values were always on point, like, the, the soundtracks, you always had, like, killer soundtracks oh, yeah. with, like... You know, you had like Radiohead on Romance section. You know, oh, you, had, you, you had proper proper names on there, right? So that, was that intentional from you guys to try and have this like high-end production quality that you were trying to? Yeah, Justin was always a very eager and driving force on on um, and very how to say um, like on the details. Yeah, right. Like he, <coughs> well, Justin had a lot of inputs on on the movie soundtrack like yeah. he had a good knowledge about movie of course also the writers but we had some musical advisors too but yeah justin have to say you know good taste on on picking good soundtrack and uh we both kind of did everything he he wasn't you know he had the o overview in the u.s i of europe yeah first movie was entirely european writers and transcendence our second movie we Opened the door for one American writer. Yeah, yeah. Which was Travis Rice. Yeah, not a bad start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, gave the green card to the right guy there. Yeah, yeah. Good pick. Yeah, uh, well, you guys pick. You always, you know, you got that right as well. The writers that you work with, it was always super high end, right? It was always, and like like we said earlier with Nicholas, like with Travis, like it was always guys like on the on the up early on. Was that something that you, again, consciously tried to do to, to spot the guys that fitted the, the kind of image of snowboarding that you wanted to portray 
Yeah, in the beginning it was really like the guys that uh, um, inspired us, the yeah. riding. What we thought is like the riding that um, conveys snowboarding. Yeah. And for me, the first and foremost of all these riders was was Nicholas Miller at the time. Yeah. Um, this young kid, you know, he just kind of had this sick tweaks and uh, easygoing style and, and just was keen to do pretty much any trick first try yeah it was amazing yeah yeah dream and dream to shoot with yeah and we we wanted to have like a group of riders that the personality was right you know friends of ours pretty much as well at the time yeah um, but also like the riding was on the level that we wanted to show in the movie and that was Wolle Neuveld Steve Gruber Roma Demarki JP Solberg Nicholas Miller um, those were really like the, the became the cornerstones of the, f the foundation of, of absent films and all of these writers um, Wolle, Nicholas, JP, Roma um, oh, Gigi of course yeah I was yeah. going yeah, Gigi. Gigi, no? <laughs> yeah, Gigi of course like they stayed with us for many years and yeah. um, Wolle I mean I think this might be the first year he won't be the, in the movie. Well, I mean, just all super creative, super stylish, yep. unique approaches to snowboarding. All of them, yep. you know. I mean, it's a brilliant record, isn't it? That that like decades. What what do you say? Like twelve, thirteen years, maybe. But those, and even now, obviously. But like you know, the, that's a it's just a great record of that era in snowboarding, isn't yep. it? You must be stoked when you look back on it. Yeah, you know, I was. Uh uh, just one of these moments um, I actually just came back from one week shooting with, with the Absin crew which hasn't happened in a few years yeah and we uh, we hit it off in logs last Friday night due to the celebration of Drew coming back to Europe since two three years yeah and uh, I was on the dance floor and all of a sudden like a random guy tapped me on the shoulder and uh, started talking to me and just, just like being really thankful of the movies we've done and that it showed him a lot opened you know opened his mind opened yeah. his minds the soundtrack he mentioned and just was super thankful of all the movies and the work we've done and I was just standing in the middle of the dance floor you know wow yeah well like th the same thing that inspired you yeah when you were a kid basically exactly, isn't yeah. it that you know same thing as when you know you saw Damien Sanders and got stoked yeah. isn't it you know so is there a moment that you're proudest of when you look back on those years? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, proud. I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked about the whole experience, all the people that I um, got to meet and the experiences I, I was able to live and definitely all the places I got to see that was more than I could have wished and dreamed for <laughs> uh, back then when I remember myself reading the snowboard magazines. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm not, like, sitting around in my office drooling over, like, past days. Like, still, with all these guys I'm involved and friends, you know, just the other day, Travis Rice came through town, texted me, you know, half an hour later, he was at my place having breakfast with me. And there's a, a deep friendship with a lot of these guys that we've experienced so many intense moments uh, around the world and I think 
many years can pass without seeing each other and you just instantly feel connected again when you see each other. You still have that bond. Yeah. Yeah. So today, you like you say, you were shooting um, last week. But so what are you doing mainly now? Um, I <laughs> can't can't uh, phrase it in just one quick sentence. I I uh, sh- actually started shooting photos again a few years ago. Yeah. Got into the digital photography. Yeah. Um, about eight years ago, I decided to build a house in the rain fo- in the in the rainforest of Brazil. Yeah, I was going to ask you Co- about this. Close to the coast. Ca- Cab Cabru? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cabru, Brazil. Yeah. So why on earth did you decide to do that? Because that's no small. It was also always one of my dreams of kind of realizing an architectural dream of mine. Right. And also having a place in a tropical situation close to a beach where you could surf and yeah. the rainforest was always an appealing surrounding to me and and um, year-long tropical temperatures and um, Chris Beckman and a, an all-time friend of mine from Zurich he built a house in Itacare in Brazil about 20 years ago and I kept on going there and started to know the area and really got in got to like it okay um, so you had a bit of history there yeah yeah and great. I thought like if I'm gonna build something on faraway lands from Switzerland might as well do it close to a friend yeah yeah I have from Sick. Zurich yeah so I'm not completely alone with all my problems when problems <laughs> arise <laughs> yeah. which which did yeah right well I remember talking to you and it yeah. was it's like yeah I mean it's a fucking mission right <laughs> yeah and the house well we built three years on that house and it was I uh, felt like um, you know the similar challenges like finishing the first apps in movies like gnarly yeah like, unexpected hurdles on and on and as I said you know we, we built this thing for three years I mean not with my own hands but like just solving problems on yeah. a daily basis and, and going there on a regular basis and uh, well the house is you have to look it up it's a one of a kind construction yeah and, and people can rent the house right exactly like you can, yeah, yeah. You can, you yeah. Can, so I'll put a link up because people can yeah. go there can't they I mean you and did it as a, as a holiday home yeah. as well for people right and then just you won't believe it you know once again a couple of years later I meet somebody from Zurich that has a lot of land close to where we have the house a super nice house private beach front property and um start talking to each other we instantly kind of connect and uh, he told me that they didn't really know what to what to do with their property and the house they're not really fond of the area they don't go there anymore and the person that they've been relying to is well not in business with them anymore for whatever right. reasons and then uh daniela my business partner with whom i have Cabru brazil car stands for Karagi, her name, and Brew for Brusty. Yeah. Um, we all met up, um, developed a business plan, what to do with their with their villa. We we said like, let's turn this into a little boutique hotel with restaurant, in inject life into this area, and then start developing oh the wow. whole area around it, which Shit. is eighty thousand square meters. And that's what we did. We opened the hotel here, and 
four months ago. Wow, right. I didn't know that. So you've been busy. <laughs> yeah. And the hotel is now, we just came out of our second high season and it's been a big step up from last year. And now we're we're just meeting up the next few weeks, um, updating our business plan, looking for new investors and, and, and increase. Wow. Increase Amazing. The whole thing, yeah. Wow. So you've always, it sounds like, you know, you've always had this, a lot of the things you've been talking about, you know, it comes down to solving problems, doesn't it? You know, when you talked about the onboard, making the film, you had to learn how to shoot, you had to learn how to raise money, learn how to produce. You've done these projects, you know, you, you have to learn how to do new things. Like, is that is that something that you've always had? That kind of that kind of like personality trait where you've you've been uh, interested in solving these problems and not been not been worried about that. Yeah, I uh, I guess I was always up for for new challenges and and I guess the talent that I have was not giving up quickly. Yeah. Um just endure whatever it takes and and finish the thing. Yeah. Um I guess it's one of my qualities and uh and but then at the same time I I also question a lot of things that I do because uh, I feel that I, I start a lot of things and I also will finish them, but I know that there's a lot of people out there that probably will do a much better job Yeah, <laughs> really? on things than I do. I know, just, you know, I, I got into photography again because of the house and the hotel. I do some architectural photography and but still don't know how to use Photoshop properly, you know? Right, <laughs> really. Kind of things like that. Yeah, but you'll, but, you'll, but you'll just do what you need to do to get things done. Yeah. Which is a good quality, I think, because a lot of the time people can be kind of worried about what they don't know, can't they? And it holds them back, you know, if you think, oh, I just can't do that. Like, it's going to keep you in one place, isn't yeah. it? But your career sounds like has always been, oh, I'm just going to try that, just see where it leads. And then there's another opportunity and I'll just try that, yeah. basically. Which is great. I mean, it's, it's and you know, look at what, look at where it's led you from Zurich. It's a long way, right? Fuck yeah! It's building a yeah. building a hotel in the Brazilian rainforest. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have a little uh, agency here in Zurich as well. Yeah, this is ideal, since right? Ideal com. Yeah, since yeah. four years that we didn't really plan of having, uh, just kind of fell in our laps um, from another agency that uh, went out of business, and our accountant kind of connected us and we took over some of their clients and now we're doing creative well events and film productions and sort of promotions we're not really looking for things but things somehow fall into our laps or get thrown at us and we just execute whatever yeah, is yeah. around when it's there right and so, the, so these two things are keeping you keeping yeah. you busy right now yeah and yeah. then with absent films you know I'm still still a part owner and still listening to all the problems and I'm in touch with Justin but I'm not on a daily basis anymore but yeah this year actually a bit more than it has been I was out filming yeah and did you enjoy it how was it yeah <laughs> are you sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we were out there for a week and you had uh, shit weather though right we, so. we got difficult weather conditions yeah. but it was all it's always difficult when yeah, making a snow yeah. movie that's the, the the main your main opponent is the weather and yeah. the snow conditions and, uh, and we didn't really get much so it was like a week out with the boys uh, carrying around like heavy bags and tripods and just yeah, hiking up and down and but 
you know, it's good to be out there and yeah, back uh, in the I game. Like it, yeah, who are we shooting with? Uh, Nicholas Miller, yeah, Ben Ferguson, um, and Severin Vandermeer. Solid crew. Yeah, yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you is, I don't know if you saw the story that was in onboard recently, which was that Tom wrote, Tom Copsey, which was talking about fil- snowboard films now, saying like there's too many of them. You know, like there's too, there's too, like there's so much, because it's so easy to make a film now, like you said, to like put a film online. You know, back in the day when you started doing it, it was all on the cycle, wasn't it? You did a film one winter, came out the next winter, then you'd have like, you know, 20, 30 films would come out. Completely different now. He was kind of suggesting, in in a funny way, you know, that maybe he was a little bit, almost too much choice these days. How do you look at it? Because you've got such a, such a good view on that, in, on that part of the industry. Well, I can understand that everybody wants to have, you know, a, a presence um, somewhere on the internet, in the movie side, and then, for a big part also you know for me as i said you know back in skateboarding times it's not just producing something to have something produced but it's a cr- part of a creative outlet of that culture in general yeah and now with all the cameras and the computers being so accessible it makes sense that everybody is just like on their downtime getting creative yeah with these things but it's a pity um uh, as i said you know it's for me it's way too saturated out there like I don't even know some of the names and and, and web shows and uh, uh, webcasts and everybody has his uh, podcasts. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no podcast is actually that's progressive. That's podcast. Uh, There's a few of them out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is, but I've really enjoyed, and I didn't know that you had them going actually as well. Yeah, until I chased you down. Yeah. Come on, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I really enjoyed listening them on my train ride back from uh, Sam Raids to Zurich yesterday. It was a really uh, pleasing thing to listen to. And, That's uh, cool, man. Well, yeah. thanks for listening. And, uh, well, nowadays it's all visual. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it but is. I mean, but I think the good always comes out, doesn't it? You know, you look at, there's always a few things every year that cut through because they're just, so good of course so, yeah you know but, but i but it's harder to, to almost enjoy watching skateboard movies more it, i always i don't know enjoyed surf and skateboard movies more and more over time the more i started being you know um focused on on my own snowboard moving on a daily basis you know at some point you just get like uh, I guess like desensitized, right? You just see so much of it that it's like, yeah. Yeah. you need a distraction need, from. Need, need a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, last question. So, I think, like I said to you this before we started recording, there's like one thing that people are always really interested in with the people I interview, are how they got into the industry, which obviously we covered a lot. Is there, is there anything that you learned from the whole career that you would say is a good piece of advice for anybody listening who's thinking like? I want to kind of do a similar thing. Like maybe I don't want to be a prof- you know, I can't be a professional snowboarder or skateboarder or surfer, but I want to work in the industry. Like what's a good thing that you learned that you could, you well, could tell somebody like that? Yeah. The good thing that I've learned is um, if you really want something, you got to think about, you know, there there is a way in, you know, there you have to find your way in and just focus in, pursue it um, and don't give up. If you, if people start realizing that you want that more than anything else, 
um, and they also see that you have a talent and you you know your you know your subject then eventually somebody will give you a chance and then you, you just got to take that chance and be at it continue continue beat those doors down yeah yeah awesome, and don't man. don't 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 be uh, what if uh, when i you know during the absent days i've always wondered why nobody was coming knocking on my door here in, at the office in zurich i figured like we had a, f a renowned snowboard production established here in zurich nobody's coming to like like me I, like i was you know back in the day like hey can i do something and we one or two times we had somebody and then i gave them a, a simple job and they was like what <laughs> <sighs> right and that's what i've kind of not sure if that spirit got lost somehow well i think nowadays. you know what, you know what i think that comes down to I, i just think people assume that everybody knows what they're doing Do you know what I mean? So I think like with something like Absinthe, with something like you guys, because they were so good, those films, I think people probably look at that. I'm just using this as an example, obviously, look at those and go, fucking hell. Like that is like super slick operation or, you know, that. No, but I'm, you know that I'm, you know I'm, more, I'm missing more the hunger. But that's you know. what I mean. But you know the truth of it and you know that it's all about everybody's making it up as they go along. And you, and you did that. And that's what the hunger is to just like learn on the job and learn how to do it. And, and not be put off by that, just find a way in. You know, I think it's, I think that's what another reason why it's worth having these conversations, because it's always worth remembering that people haven't got a fucking clue what they're doing, and yeah. they're just making it up, aren't they? You know, and the ones that succeed are the ones that don't really get fooled by that and just try anyway, which is obviously what you did. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Me too. Yeah, it's good thanks. to see you. Thanks a lot, Matt. Yeah, all good. Nice. Pleasure, honor. So there you go. That was my interview with Brusty. Hope you enjoyed that one. I've had a lot of requests for interviews with photographers and the like over the months. And I do plan to speak to some more. I'm going to get my friend Nick Hamilton on here at some point, who's now head honcho at Transworld. Ollie Barton I want to speak to. Wig Warland. There's loads, really. But in the meantime, yeah, I hope, hope you dug that one and uh, gave you plenty of uh, food for thought, really. I thought it was a great one. But then I always do, which brings me nicely to housekeeping corner not a huge amount to report really uh, oh well actually i did get some great press by the time this comes out which was me being chosen as one of the top podcasts to listen to by shortlist magazine here in the uk this gets distributed to about i'm pretty sure it's about a million people each week around the uk uh, across public transport train stations and the like and very favorable piece thank you journalist Chris Sayer for that one going to be interested to see what that does to the old stats and ratings on iTunes actually so yeah keep an eye out for that if you're out and about in the UK have been getting the usual round of feedback from people which has been nice I do feel it's only fair to say that I've also had the odd uh, dissing message so you know I'm duty bound to share that as well as the the praise that I've been pimping at the end This one was somebody asking me to stop with the long-winded intros. Um, now, it's a proper thing, actually, that. I mean, I'm amazed, really, but people do get really vexed by the length of podcast intros, which, um, I mean, personally, I don't really get why you'd be asked. That's what the fast-forward button's for, which is what I do. But there you go. Um, 
Full props though for absolute front in actually contacting me and asking me to change the format of the pod so it fits a little bit more perfectly your own specific requirements. That's not weird or uh, self-entitled at all. Um, But yeah, by and large, apart from that, the feedback continues to amaze me. So big thanks to everyone who's been in touch as usual. Saying nice things. Uh, I checked in on the audience the other day as we head towards the 100,000 download marker, which is going to be the the big milestone in my uh, looking sideways journey. So yeah, I checked in to see where some of those people are listening and the global Looking Sideways family continues to grow. Qatar, Azerbaijan, Saudi Arabia, China, Ukraine, Peru. Massive shout to whoever's listening in those spots. Why not get in touch to say hello? Love to know how you found it and how you get on with it. And yeah, thanks for the support. Get some merch, start flying the flag in them areas. Guess-wise, I'm having a little bit of a fr- frustrating time at the minute, as you, as is usual. I've had a few near misses with some big guests who've been passing through town. I've had a couple of people cancel. I've had someone get the hump, uh, an email that I sent, which was all very odd. Um, I've had, yeah, I don't know. It's par for the course, really, to tell you the truth. Got a couple of good ones lined up. I've got episode 50 in the bag. Um, did that one the other day. Going to save that for a few episodes time. Not going to say who that is. But yeah, currently waiting to hear if a couple of the up-and-coming big names are going to come on the show. Because uh, yeah, there's a few people coming through town that I'm hoping to snag. I'm also planning a trip to California at the end of the year where I'm going to try and tick off a load of podcasts. Been chatting to the good people at Visit California about that one. Looks like I might take my old collaborator Owen Tozer along on that one to do some shots. We're thinking we might film a few as well. That's what all the proper podcasters do when they reach a certain size. Simultaneously film it and put it on YouTube. So I'm going to do a bit of that, I think. And uh, if you've got any ideas who I should interview on that little Californian sojourn, then let me know. Also looking at a Looking Sideways live date in the near future. Been chatting to the guys at House of Vans about that one. Got the guest in mind, just need to confirm, confirm it and the venue. So I will, of course, be letting you know as that one happens. All right, that's enough waffle. I'll probably be getting a message complaining about the long-winded outros. Um, But yeah, thanks for listening and uh, I'll see you next time. Nice one.